Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We are here today to celebrate a win, a comprehensive win as well against Rochdale yesterday for us, but it'll be two days ago for you, provided we get up on Monday morning on time, which has been a struggle recently for our poor producer, Sean. I am joined today by Nick Barnes. How are you? Very good, especially on the back of that win. Yeah. Did you have a good night last night? Just makes all the difference. It does make all the difference, winning games. And that's why it's been so torturous the last few years, losing games week after week. And and, and it does affect your weekend. I mean, there's no... No question. 
Do I you, mean, whatever walk of life. Does it affect you though? And you know, do you get in because it's, it's work for you essentially? And I know it might be horrible to put it that way, but that's what it is. Does it affect you in that kind of way? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. I mean, you, you, if you speak to Gary Bennett as well, or anybody else who works in the, in, in the press, the media, it does affect you because um, losing games means automatically you've got a negative sort of down after the game when you when you talk to the manager when you talk to players and you know, more so if it's an away game and you know you've got three hours four hours in a car coming back and you're just on a on a low on a down um and you and there is a tangible different sense of mood when you get in the car and it's been a win mm-hmm. um which has been you know this season going to gillingham and winning and um going to wimbledon and winning although it's in the on the train just the mood you just feel so much better you just you just whole weekend feels good and you know that when you go back into work the following week you're going in on a positive yeah rather than oh here we go again and looking forward to next week oh the manager you speak to obviously all the players management yeah. as well so it's obviously helpful when you see it is wins. i mean but everyone's the players are, they'll come out and feel happier about doing the interviews after the game the manager's obviously in a better mood if they've, if they've won the game although actually funny thing in, in is over the years it's often easier to interview a manager after a defeat than it is a win because um after a defeat there's generally more to talk about after a win you, you know it all becomes a bit sometimes a bit too sort of uh happy happy and yeah. you know well what do you ask about you don't want to criticize anything because you just won but you, you feel sometimes you have to well okay yes you've won four one but were you happy with that or were you happy because you otherwise the minute the interview would last about 30 seconds yeah because normally the line is often like negative isn't it and then sort of well it's difficult in, because it? we we can often be accused after a win of being negative but it's only because if you want an interview with whoever sometimes you have to ask a question which appears to be a negative but it's only to get the manager or the player talking about that episode yeah. um so yes, yeah, sometimes it's easier to talk after. A, it's easier to talk to the manager after a defeat, but not the players. Um, strangely, but I think that's probably because the players are genuinely, you know, they are really down and they don't really want to talk about it. Whereas the manager, if they've lost, is generally yes, down but angry. Yeah, for whatever reason. So you you actually generate a lot more from the manager uh, in that position. Managers, I suppose, always know they have to speak as well. Players, it's like a case of pick one, whoever Yeah, and, and imagine the last couple of years when it's defeat oh, after God. defeat, trying to, you know, get the players out and, and, and want to, to talk about it. I mean, so all credit to those that used to come out. We used to, you know, I remember you, we used to talk about having dependables, you know, like Phil Bardsley was yeah. one and Danny Collins back in the day. You, the certain players that would come out, actually, whatever the circumstances, mm-hmm. and all credit to them for doing that. And would talk. Others disappeared, and you never saw them for you know week, yeah. from week to week. It's funny that because yesterday was like important for me because it was it was my three year anniversary with my girlfriend. So I needed a positive result. Well, you Otherwise, didn't. Yeah, yeah, I bet you did. I would have been like, I had a face like a slapped ass all night if not. So it was it was big for me because I was like that means I can enjoy my evening. Uh, but it does, doesn't it? I mean, it clearly does. I mean, I think it's it's human nature. If you've yeah. gone along and enjoyed the game and it's a win, I don't I don't think it matters whether you were working or whether. You know, you're there as a spectator. You feel better for it. I think you like add. We got beat up Burton obviously last week, and then this week leading up to the game this weekend, I wasn't like drinking in the content as much. I wasn't checking websites and you know reading stuff about the games and the press conferences. I just wasn't interested. Which is, it's funny, isn't it? How that just makes all well, the difference. Uh, winning I mean, games. Burton last week is an example because um, I thought we'd win at Sun. I, I thought Sun would win at Burton. I actually felt. Going to Burton this time round with that team, on, I thought looked at it on paper, thought you know, man for man, it's a better team. 
I actually felt that, you know, the, the way they come back at Wimbledon, the way that I thought they were starting to get to grips a little bit with the physicality. And I thought, they, yeah, they'll win at Burton. So actually it was really flat after that. Even in the game, I thought when Maguire scored, oh, yeah, we're going to get back in here. And it went flat again. It sort of leveled out. So it was, that was a, that was a downer, actually. It was a bit of a... Mm. Do you think it's going to be like a watershed moment? Do you think that'll be the, the game we'll look back and we'll go, yeah, you know what, we got beat then. That That's where we're, you know, clicked. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember we played Redden in 04-05. Had a really bad start that year as well in the McCarthy. And we went away to Redden, played really well, but we got beat that day. And that was sort of the game Mick McCarthy picked out as that's when it started to get right. Do you think Burton at the weekend was maybe the one where they got that kick up the arse and went, oh, well, actually, we need to you know, work and that's why it was still such a positive reaction this week. Could be, because I mean, I spoke to Tom Flanagan yesterday after the game and um, he said, they, he said, you might have noticed we were in the dressing room longer than we normally are. And that was clearly because Jack Ross was reading them the riot act. Mm-hmm. And he says, the players don't like that. We don't like it. We don't want to be in that position again. It was made fairly clear to us, you know, it was poor and we hadn't, um, we hadn't worked hard enough, basically was what Tom Flanagan said. And if you're going to win games in this division, he knows more than, most because he's been at Burton. He, he, you know, ironically, Burton are probably the, the classic example of a team who've adapted to playing in League One and adapted to life in the Championship. And perhaps arguably were unlucky to get relegated from the Championship. They were safe, weren't they? Until because, the last yeah, half and hour. I think well, part of it is, I think there's a, um, anecdotally, <laughs> there's um, a story about the Burton directors didn't want to stay up because it yeah. meant they had to spend half a million pounds on putting seats in and they couldn't afford it, yeah. which is understandable but the point I was making about Burton is they've got a mindset about how to be physical and how to play in that league and they work hard and that was what Jack Ross was so angry about if you're going to get results in this league you've got to work hard Alex is here now he was late um, not on time 50 minutes late Alex what's your excuse? My excuse is that the Metro was delayed a very common excuse uh, Mm. banded around in the North East but always applicable always valid and I'm going to use it have to blame the public transport. You couldn't just admit your own mistakes. We are not an no, excuse. Community. No, like a like a poor workman, I'm blaming my tools. Yeah, fair play. Okay, well, the, the introduction kind of didn't really touch on the game this weekend, but we will now. I'll run through the lineup. So start McLaughlin and Nets, and it was very clearly a lopsided three-five-two yesterday. I thought uh, we had <laughs> yeah, Flanagan, yeah, Flanagan, Baldwin, Leuven's kind of the three centre backs with Denver Hume playing in this fullback kind of role um, <laughs> then Katz McGeoch centre mid Maguire Honeyman Gooch and then Madger up front uh, Madger opened the scoring with a, a brilliant header brilliant cross by Maguire as well then Gooch got himself a penalty after again good work from Maguire and Madger and then he scored it uh, Madger made it 3-0 before half time with a good finish a uh, nice touch and got his snapshot away in typical Madger style and then Gooch got the, the goal of the game with a, a, a really good goal um, in the second half to make it 4-0 and then Matty Doan had to ruin that clean sheet dream for poor John McLaughlin, who had mm-hmm. earned it as well. And the game finished 4-1. Mistake from Jack Bolden as well, must be said for that one. Probably the first one he's made in the Sunderland shirt. So, you know, let's let's dive straight into it. The meat of the game, what what do we make of, I suppose, the the shape we'll start with? You know, lopsided 3-5-2. What do you make of it? Well, it, it, it clearly works for Jack Ross. I mean, after Burton last week and going to 4-4-2 and it... And, there are a lot of aspects of that Burton game we were talking before about not working hard. I think Sinclair just didn't, it didn't fit him that formation at all at Burton and so on. There are a lot of things you can pick out, not having Maguire in the starting lineup and good reasons for him not being there after the sort of previous few games. Um, so there are a lot of things that conspired, but I think it was almost inevitable that Jack Ross was going to go back to his tried and tested formation 
against Rochdale. And I think he he was also mindful um, because he'd, he'd spoken about it or alluded to it in the build-up to the size of Rochdale's front men. Again, he said, you know, it's another team that have got six foot three, six foot two, six all foot, big lads. They're all big, yeah. Calvin a big team. Was a yeah. unit. Oh, it was an absolute um, monster. It wasn't room. just because he was yeah. throwing himself around and He's everywhere on the pitch. Right? Yeah. He's centre back sometimes yeah. up front. Um, and and sort of players that can or have caused Sunderland problems. So that's partly why, you know, Denver Hume came back into the team and partly why Flanagan was was in the team as well. I mean, that's quite a bold statement to take both your experienced fullbacks out and put in, you know, Flanagan is just back from injury and Hume, who's one of the younger players, who though arguably was unlucky to lose his place at Burton. Um but yeah, this lopsided Three five two, but it did. You know, there, there, you can see why it works with with Gooch playing on on the right wing and causing defenders the fullbacks problems. Although Sam Hart was clearly trying to give as good as he got yesterday, um, and Hume, um, as Jack Ross has talked about this season from pre season onwards, has got more and more aggressive. He likes that side to his game, and I think we saw that yesterday. He's positive. He likes to get forwards, and he's quite capable of taking on the, the physical side of the game as well. Alex, what do you mean? Like the it was it's like fluid, isn't it? The way the back four works or back yeah. three to back four, yeah. Because you know? Flanagan does slot into right back at times and yeah. then moves into centre back. And I I don't know if I've ever actually seen a team sort of play like that. No, no, I think it's fairly subtle really how they operate. And as you say, it's very it's a very fluid motion. You'll often see I mean Flanagan playing out on out on the right will on paper, operate you know for the sake of symmetry as a wing back alongside Denver Hume, but when we come off the offensive and suddenly we're under pressure, he does seem to slot back in in the middle and sort of take up a place alongside Baldwin and Leuvens. and I think it it says a lot for for uh, for Jack Ross's um, uh, for tactic for Jack Ross's sort of tactical um, uh, expertise that he's able to get a team to operate with that fluidity in this division. I don't think you would see an awful lot of that. In the, the the lower down the legs you go, I think teams don't tend to sort of try and reinvent the wheel as much. But I think with with Ross, we've got um, a, a fairly unique dynamic there, and when it when it's when it's been put in place, it always seems to work quite well for me. So, and I think the other thing is, you know, we're only eight nine games in, and it's a you know that they're still learning to play with each other. And even Flanagan coming back in was saying yesterday, the last two years, seventy five games, he's played a left back. In pre-season, he was playing centre-back. Mm, and now he's come back in and now he's playing right-back. So, you know, in one sense, that's great because you've got a player that can play right across the back four, back three, back five, whatever he's going <laughs> to play. So he can adapt into that fluidity. But it, it's also going to take those players time to... I mean, you know, the whole set-piece um, for Argo this season, part of it is because these players are trying to learn to play with each other and learn to slot into a system. Um, and... You know, Jack Ross has been at pains every week to try and play down the set-piece scenario. Um, they will get it right. I mean, one of the biggest things, I think, is the more we talk about it, the more it becomes an issue in the minds of the players. And the more it becomes an issue in the minds of the players, the worse it'll get. Yeah, I think if we've said it once, we've said it a thousand times, but what we've got this season is a squad made up almost entirely of new recruits who won't have ever played with each other. The majority, I think, you've got a few like Max Power and Don Love who were at Wigan together for a short spell of time. But a lot of these players, you know, are are foreigners to each other, and to throw them into a team and expect them to just immediately start beating teams that have been together for for years upon years. I mean, transfer activity isn't as 
isn't as frequent in the lower leagues, I don't believe, as it is in the in the divisions where money gets thrown around as much. So to expect a team of of strangers to each other to immediately start playing, I think that's a, I think that's a good point because you look at Rochdale yesterday in their lineup and the players in that team. A lot of them have been there since Keith Hill went back to yeah. Rochdale in 2013, and one of the secrets of their success in trying to play punch above their weight, if you like, for a club the size of Rochdale are is consistency mm-hmm. because they've had the same team largely for the last three or four years, the same manager for the last three or four years. And Alex says, suddenly you're throwing in all these new players and not just that. You know, we had a pre-season that was going along quite nicely and they were getting better and better in every game. And then suddenly Flanagan and McGee get yeah. injured, two players yeah. who were going to be pretty key and they've had to start again almost. And then, you know, you, you lose Charlie White again now and suddenly it's, it's you know, the fluidity moves way beyond trying to get a team playing together consistently, it's it's fluid because it's changing every week. Do you think it would be nice? I mean, I always think sort of, you know, with my FIFA stroke football manager head on, I like to have a 15% squad turnover every year. That's like, you know, three, four out, three, four yeah. sort of in. Do you think that that would be nice to see Sunderland finally have that, where you know that in, you know, certain players are going to be there in three years' time. It know? would be, it's the perfect scenario because yeah. Sunderland haven't had that for how many years? Yeah, ever. I mean, you, you, <laughs> in you my think life, that anyway. every summer, I mean, one of the, one of the reasons, I mean, dare I mention the, day, the name David Moyes, but one of the reasons Everton was so successful is because if you looked at their, their start of every season, they barely changed the squad. They might bring in one or two buys and they might bring in a couple of loans, but Everton's squad stayed pretty stable. Yeah, and they wouldn't spend an awful for 10 lot, years. would they? No, they wouldn't. And that was one of the reasons Everton did well. And I think, you know, it, come, it comes back to consistency again now. I mean, it, it, it's interesting that... Um, Flanagan said after the game yesterday, to to get out of League One, Sunderland might have to use thirty players, which I think is an extraordinary number of players. And, mm-hmm. But I, he, he may well be right. But then you look at a team like Burton, who got out of League One, probably using only eighteen. Eighteen, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It, it is an interesting sort. I mean, it's weird for us as well because it's so uncharted territory. This level for you know the fans, like we just don't know what to expect. We play games. You know, played Rochdale yesterday, and you just don't know what every team's. Yeah, well, I think I quite enjoy. Well, I was chatting to Phil Smith from the Sunday Echo about this yesterday in the build-up, and that's a minute while Phil said, "Look, don't get me wrong, I'd love to be back in the Premier League. I'd like to be going to watch Hazard and going to watch whoever." There is something unique about being in League One. It's throwing up new new grounds. It's throwing up new teams. It's throwing up new challenges. It's fascinating, and if you're a football fan, it's absolutely brilliant. Because it's 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 so so much new territory, and we've not got sucked into the same old or every week. Um, and, I, and and Jack Ross talks about it as well. For him, it's a brand new challenge because he's come out of, of Scotland, where you play teams four times a season, and now he's got to get around. You know, the fact that he's only playing them twice a season that sets up new challenges for him. It, you know, from one week to the next, you know, he can say. I mean, he is obsessive about his research and his um, preparation. But even he says you can do all. I mean, he was funny enough tell, told us a story in the week about Nigel Clough, and this is the this is the difference between you know maybe managing in the Championship or the Premier League and managing at this level. You make all these, you do all this preparation, you do all this research, you turn up at Burton, and Nigel Clough turns up and says, "I've got to leave late because I've got to walk the dog," and throws everything out the window because he just sort of seems to pull it all together in you know the space of a, a a day or so because he's so used to that level of football. Yeah, it's funny, really, with um, uh, Jack Ross sort of delving into uncharted territory. In the in the Scottish leagues, the Scottish Premier League, 
as an example, you've only got 12 teams in there, don't you? And you're playing those teams four times a year. Everyone's going to know everyone. And even in the entire football, the Scottish Football League pyramid, there aren't that many teams compared to what they are in the Premier League. So the teams that are dropping in and out of the, the Scottish Premier League, the Championship, and maybe even the Scottish League one, a lot of them will know each other just because of the sheer frequency of them playing each other. But when Jack Ross comes to Sunderland and plays in the English League one, He's, play, he's managing a Sunderland side who are playing a lot of teams only twice a season and a lot of which were playing for the first time ever. I mean, Fleetwood, Rochdale, Accrington, Stanley, th- those are just three of mm. God knows how many that were playing for the first time in the league. So I think, you know, just as the players are, are a bunch of strangers to each other, Jack Ross is a stranger to this division. So, you know, there's, a, there's an awful lot of wholesale change going on at Sunderland. Yeah, and, not just Jack Ross, James you know, Fowler, John Potter. I mean, they're all strangers to English football. And as much as you, you know, like to say you, you, you're working in Scotland, and he's 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 spent his whole career, bar that season at Hartlepool, immersed in Scottish football, and suddenly he's had to start again, learning about English football. And we are all learning about, yeah. you know, League One because and, and how many people, how many fans, how many press, when you go to a game on a Saturday, actually recognise any of the names on the team yeah. sheets now. They're all pretty much yeah. There's the I recognise maybe one up. person a exactly. week. Exactly, generally two or three, maybe. You know. How do you how do you prep for that? Because obviously, yeah. I imagine I've seen obviously your massive. You know, <laughs> you're famous for your prep. But well, how do you prep for that? You know, this weekend against Rochdale. I mean, because you must have to watch a lot. I of, think like, you do a lot more. And... I think you do a lot more prep. You do a lot more research into the individual players and their background and where they come from. Um, you know, it, there's little things even like last week at Burton that Andy Cole's son Devante Cole yeah. was on the, on the bench and. It's easy sometimes to to miss those players because there are so many new names. That, that even if they've got, this, you know, I noticed that Zach Clough um, yeah. is on loan at Rochdale, and he didn't feature. But I remember doing the research into Zach Clough, and he's no relation to Brian Clough at all. No. Mm-hmm. Um, last season, but you do tend to be a little bit more. You, you immerse yourself a little bit more in it just to try and find out a bit more about some of those players. And there are quite a few. And Rochdale had a few yesterday that you know have come through Man United or Liverpool Academy or you know, youth players at Premier League clubs. But um, it's actually, in in many ways, more interesting because you did come become a bit blasé about the Premier yeah. League and because you knew all the players. You, know, you can't avoid knowing about well, them because yeah. they're everywhere. Now, you have to work a bit harder to find out a bit more about them and what their backgrounds are. And, you know, it, it, and I was actually quite interested in the build-up to the game yesterday. Ian Henderson, you know, getting the hat-trick, mm-hmm. looking at Ian Henderson. Actually, Ian Henderson was a player... I had heard of, and I think most people probably would have done because he's been through around for, around for quite yeah. a long time. Calvin Andrew was another one that's been around quite a long time. But like you're saying, there's only two or three generally, week in, week out, that are players that you know about, and they're certainly not household names. No. I think um, another thing I would like to touch on is, you know, Jack Ross doing a good job that, you know, if he does do a good job this year, it's something that, is he somebody who is sort of in it for the long haul, do you think, the project? Or do you think his head could get turned at any point? I mean, you'll have more experience than what we have, but it's something I've never really thought about until right now, and I thought I would throw it out there. No, a a, it was a good one because it's a conversation we have had about him because um, we've been speaking in past weeks about Celtic because he's, he's a Celtic fan. And, you know, you then start thinking, well, what if the Celtic job became available? Brendan Rogers is someone who highly recommended Jack Ross. So, you know, there is that link, but I think, Jack Ross in the last week or so has talked about his ambitions and the fact that he moved here for a very good reason and it's a big club. I think Jack Ross wants to see this project, if you like, through. I think he would feel that if he's going to make a name for himself, he's at the perfect club to do it. I think back, I mean, it, it's, it's funny because 
you look back now to when Roy Keane left and when he wrote the second autobiography. And in that, he wrote about how he regretted leaving because actually he had the perfect job on a plate and he was, he was foolish to, to throw it away, really. Um, and I think Jack Ross is of the similar ilk in thinking, look, I've got the big job here. If I get this team, and, he, and he's, you know, he's ambitious, he wants to get them out of the first attempt. If he gets them out of League One, he's then managing a big club in the Championship and he's only a, you know, that's one promotion away from the Premier League. I think he's he's ambitious enough to want to take this club into the Premier League and make a name for himself. Yeah, here. he must be able to see that once this club is back in the Championship, you know, we're only one one Satori sized investor away from competing for a spot in the Premier League. And then once you're in the Premier League, you know, God knows where you can go from there. Really, there's in in English football, I, I think it's I think it's, this is the best country to play football because this is the country with the most limitless sky of any country in the world for playing it. I think if the Celtic job came up while while Ross was midway through a championship magic carpet ride, let's say, if we're gonna if we're gonna be all sort of <laughs> fantastical with it. You know, if he was offered the Celtic job then, it really he's being offered a ceiling. You know, he's being offered mm. the top of the Scottish Premier League. And you know, this is no disrespect to that football pyramid. But I just feel like compared to what you can do in England, there's only so much you can do in Scotland. You know, you can take you can take Celtic to the top of the, the SPL. You can take them you know, into a few preliminary rounds in the Champions League. But beyond that, you, you, you know, you're going to be very hard-pressed to do an awful lot more than that. And should you do, you know, that which I've just listed, you know, you've, you've done a pretty average job for what's expected of a Celtic manager. So I think really, I think really, he would if the Celtic job did come up, while he might be a, a boyhood Celtic fan, and while obviously I could understand the appeal, I think he would be dafted to... Turn to turn up Sunderland for that, and I think his big ambition is to manage Scotland, and you're not going to do that without getting a yeah. A, I, I would, I would, that's his yeah. that's his dream job to oh, manage Scotland. That's interesting, um, and I think you're not going to do that until you've achieved something in the game. And I think you know he's in the perfect place to do that at the moment. And he's, I mean, he's been quite you know said some quite revealing things about moving to Sunderland that that perhaps have surprised him. I think he's it's it's coming home to him how big a club it is in terms of you know he even admits he he tends to sort of stay shy away from going out because he just realises now what a big mm-hmm. club it is and wherever yeah. he goes people start you know pulling him up and um, you know it's, it's so you can you know the, the old goldfish bowl scenario but um, yeah I think he's it, he's now coming to terms with just what a big club it is how big the support is and that really uh, you know when you look at the, the wider picture and talking about the Premier League you know I've had conversations the past week about points totals in the Premier League, and I heard this statistic on Total Sport on our station this week about Newcastle finishing 10th last season with 44 points, and that being the lowest mm-hmm. points total ever for that position. 10th in the Premier League, 44 points. But then when you look at the teams in the Premier League now, in that bracket between 8th and 17th and 19th, it's Huddersfield, Bournemouth, Watford. Okay, they're playing above themselves at the minute. Um, but then none of them are what you would describe as historically big clubs. So there's nothing to say now if Sunderland can get back in the Premier League. They can't help hold their heads above water no. and, and finish 10th or above because that's, you know, that, that's, the, that's the way the Premier League's going at the minute. Do you think Jack Ross, if, it was, if I was him, I'd be looking at, you know, when Paul Lambert was at Norwich and like that, what he built there and Lambert left and he probably wishes he hadn't, he went to Aston Villa. And I would just think, you know, if Jack Ross gets it right and they do end up in the Premier League in the next few years, you know, he's got, Again, like you say, it's, it's it's there's no sort of ceiling to it. I just hope that you know he is the man that we have to do that. Well, yeah. it it is early days, and you know I don't want to get too carried away and sort yeah. of say 
Oh yeah, he is the next. I mean, because there was a lot. But that of talk must about be his plan. But I think I think he being um, the sort of guy that he is. I mean, he's a very very bright guy. I mean, and he's a, and he's a he's, I think quite a deep thinker about the game and about where he is in the game, and and how he's going to be successful in the game. I mean, I'm, I'm suspect. I mean, he probably is OCD and he probably overanalyzes everything. But he he is someone who does, you know, I think probably in his own head has mapped out his career path and the best ways to do it. And I think if he is in that sort of mould, if he's, you know, I think if he's very, very ground, I think he is very grounded. I think he will be sensible enough to realise that he does need to stay at Sunderland for a few years to to make that name for himself, to to prove to everybody that isn't a flash in the pan and to prove to himself that he can manage a big club. Right, we're going to jump back into the game now. We went on a slight tangent. My <laughs> yeah. fault, to be fair. Uh, John McLaughlin made some pretty big saves yesterday. I mean, how A, how good is he? But B, you know, how important were them saves yesterday? Uh, I think I think those saves were crucial. I think there was a really good one he made when it was at nil-nil. And I think, should he let that in? You know, that's the, the stereotypical, you know, early goal we've conceded. And then suddenly we're all on the back foot. You know, we're all we're all groaning again at how, you know, we have been mourning how we have this really fundamental problem in the team. But no, he, he saves it, and I think that's the difference because that all we really needed was a break to get the first goal, and suddenly they've the, the lads are instilled with this confidence, which allows them to you know come into the game a lot more to use that clinical efficiency they've got up front to go and get a few more. And I think yeah. Yeah, the, the save is not only good because it's a good save in its own right, but because of what it allowed the, the team as a whole to do. And then he made two or three more crucial saves when, you know, you only need Rochdale to get one or two goals back into the game because that's what this division's like. I mean, the double save late on with his feet and then tipping one over the bar. Oh, that was tremendous. Uh, you, I think he's, you know, look, he's not he's not a world beater. He's not world class. He's a, he's a League One goalkeeper. I think he's a League One cusp championship goalkeeper. Um, he's competent and there are, there, there are clear failings, but there are also a lot of positives. I think the big thing this season is he's playing with defenders who are in front of him, trust him. He's, defend, he's, he's playing with a confidence. He's got experience. Um, you know, a lot, I heard a few comments last week. Well, why isn't Matt Striet playing? Why isn't he getting a chance? Well, he's got no experience. He's absolutely no experience. And it's no coincidence that Simon Grayson, Chris Coleman are now... Um, Jack Ross, all three managers have mm-hmm. not elevated Max Street yeah. and given him. So the, there's clearly got, and now you think, you know, that for all the problems that Grayson and Coleman had, they're still experienced managers. So there must be something in in that. Um, and Router, lots of people say, well, he's an awful keeper. Well, that was, I think you've got to take that, you've got to isolate last season because there were so many problems last season in that playing squad that Steele and Router and Lee Camp ultimately yeah, suffered like from a- it. The lack of confidence at the back in general was quite infectious, really. Yeah. I think the team were leaking goals. The fans were already frustrated from last season to the point where once we started considering again, there wasn't much patience to be reaccumulated over the summer. So once they would just start conceding again, the fans will be right back on the team's... You know, if, Rightly or wrongly, the, the fans will be right back on the team's case if they weren't playing well. And I think to be a goalkeeper, to suddenly come into that side when your colleagues just had an absolute nightmare and the fans were already... You know, sick to death of seeing, seeing you concede. Basically, you know, it, it's no surprise really that, you know, it, it would start badly just from the, uh, the, 
the lack of confidence that would have been instilled from him from from Steele. And he's also part of that. We were talking earlier about, you know, it's a new team. He's part of it. Mm-hmm. You can't isolate McLaughlin from all the other new faces. He's a new face himself. He's got to, you know, the players in front of him got to learn about him. And that's all part of that defensive. I mean, I looked at the, you know, looked at the table this morning, you know, at home, was it 19 scored and 10 conceded or something? It's not, you know, when you look at Peter at the top, they've scored more goals, but it's still relatively the same balance. 24 scored, 11 conceded. Mm-hmm. So well, if Peterborough top, Sunderland third, and that's your ratio, I think, that, you know, it proves that something's going right. Yeah. Back. Uh, we've touched a little bit on the defensive pole, but I, I want to talk particularly about Flanagan. Obviously, it was his first start yesterday. I think a lot of people were kind of clamouring to see him in there because of how, you know, poor we've been sort of from set pieces and thought he'd help there. But what, I mean, what were our thoughts, you know, on, on his performance yesterday? I thought he was pretty solid. I like him. I liked him in pre-season. Um, I, I'm surprised he didn't go in at Burton yeah, last I was week. Too. Um, but I think Ross must have had reasons for that, possibly because he'd only just come back. Um, and, you know, he has tended to sort of trust the more experienced players ahead of the, some of the, the, young, the younger ones or the new ones. But I think Flanagan does offer you something on that right-hand side. I think, you know, he's, he's got a bit of athleticism about him. He's got height. And he does like to get forward. Um, I thought he was unlucky not to score when he came on uh, the other week at home. And so I think then, you know, I'd be interested to see now the team that's picked against Coventry because it's very difficult in my mind to change a winning team. But there there is a one, and we're bound to come on to it, there is another aspect to next week and that's obviously max power. Yeah. He's two. He's the two players. I see that's yeah, coming up. Yeah, yeah, he's coming up. So Flanagan first, and then um, we'll, we'll Denver Hume as well. So do you want to start with Flanagan, Alex, and then Flanagan Hume afterwards? Yeah, I thought, I thought you know, like Nick said, I thought Flanagan had a good game. I think I've seen nothing so far to suggest he's not a good signing. Every game he played in preseason, he looked assured. When he's he's filled in at right back, a position that he's not going to be naturally adept in, but he's done a good job. In spite of that, certainly a better job than Matthews, who is. You know, a natural right back. So yeah, I'm 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 happy with how he's been doing. And Denver Hume, I can understand why he was dropped last week. I think I think if you have the option of playing either, you know, former Premier League and Costa Rican international Brian Oviedo in his natural position or young Denver Hume, I think you are gonna go with Oviedo normal. I think most people would choose Oviedo there. You know, there's there's no other reason taking them both at face value. There's no reason not to choose Oviedo. But Obviously, he didn't have the best of games against Burton and it was the right call to give Denver Hume his chance. I think Hume's in a position where should should Emma Bryan have ever been underperforming or not looking as good as maybe his reputation would suggest, I think it would be right to throw Hume in. I think it'd be right to give him a chance as soon as a chance could plausibly be available. And fair play to him, he took it. He, he was great going forward. He offered plenty of pace. You know, gave... gave Rochdale, all kinds of problems on the left-hand side in conjunction with Maguire. And I'm happy to, I'm totally safe in the knowledge that he, you know, will be a competent member of the first team this season. I think Happy for him to stick on next week then. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, you know, as you say, there's no reason to change a winning team. You know, he's played well. There'd be no reason to drop him for a player that lost his place because he wasn't playing that well. Yeah, fair so, uh, one last thing on Flanagan as well. I think he's like the mix of Leuven's and Bolden, isn't he? Like, 
Leuven's is just heading in like long legs, isn't he? But <laughs> Baldwin's a brilliant footballer, yeah. and I think Fanny can read the game really well. I mean, Baldwin's yeah. one of the big things about Baldwin is his reading of the game. I mean, he just seems to have that sixth sense. And I think, I mean, going back to Hume, I agree everything that's said about him. And I think one of the reasons, I think last week, I think Jack Ross would admit, you know, he made mistakes. I think one of the reasons about Oviedo was he clearly said he was fine having returned from South Korea, and he clearly wasn't. And um, Jack Ross did sort of say about the selection at Burton and then the dropping of the fullbacks that no one's immune from if you don't play well you're not immune from being dropped and that was a clear allusion to the fact that Matthews and Oviedo hadn't played well Mm -hmm. so Hume was you know back in by right and I don't think he did anything wrong yesterday that now sees him dropped again and Oviedo back in I think Oviedo just has to bite the bullet and hope he gets back in because I think you know Hume was positive yesterday there were a couple of times he made runs into the penalty area, which I thought were superb. Um, and that's what you're looking for at the moment. So I think Ross has got some, he's got a couple of big decisions to make next week. Yeah. Well, the other big decision, Max Power, uh, the elephant in the room, I suppose. Um, I suppose to discuss Max Power, you have to discuss Catamol McGeoch, don't you? Because that's who he's going to be replaced if he comes in. So, you know, what What do we make of their performance yesterday? I thought personally McGeoch started slowly, wasn't great, but he really warmed into the game. And by the end, he was one of probably our better players and Catamol was just steady for the full 90 minutes. I wouldn't say that he really warmed in, to be honest. I don't I don't think McGeoch, I think he definitely improved as the game got on, but I don't think he ever, he ever, he, I don't think everybody looked that great, to be honest. He certainly didn't look as good as the man who he was initially signed to replace. You know, I think McGeoch was brought in to basically be a catamol with with better legs, but catamol yesterday was a, had a very good game, and I think if you're going to drop either of those two next week, you're going to drop McGeoch. Nick, I'm I'm in a real dilemma with McGeoch because in preseason I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was the best player in the squad in preseason, and that injury at Middlesbrough completely took the wind out of everything. And since he's come back, we just haven't seen anything like the McGeoch we saw in preseason. So that my dilemma is, we know there's a player there. We know there's going to be a player that could be player of the season. So what do you do? Do you do you persevere and you keep him in the team in the hope that he finds that form again and it comes back to him, or do you are you ruthless as a manager and say, look, Max Power, is there a correlation with the fact that we've not played very well against Oxford, Fleetwood, and Burton, and those are the three games that Power have been suspended? Do we bring Power back in next to Catamol? And drop McGeoch, or do we persevere with McGeoch because we've won four one and he's part of the team that won four one? I don't know because I, but because personally, I think Power's got to come back into the team okay. because those, that for those reasons just said they didn't play very well when he's not in the team. But yeah. How how about play a little bit devil's advocate here? Who's to say that we'll have to drop either? Of... Well, we're going to come on to Honeyman, aren't we? Yeah. So Honeyman, uh, personally, big fan of Honeyman. I'm putting my disclaimer out straight away, but I am going to be devil's advocate on him. Uh, yesterday, the least impressive of the three. Fair well, I, I I don't disagree, yeah. and I think the dilemma and here's Wait, the no. dilemma again. But I think the problem what Jack Ross has done is made a rod for his own bat by making Honeyman captain. But I think what he'll do is ultimately what's going to happen is if we agree that Power's going to come back in, and we know that Honeyman's probably not going to get dropped because he's captain and he's and he gives an energy. Do you think? Ross is that committed the captain's like that important a role from where because that almost suggests he's undroppable which I well, don't think no, no, no player's undroppable I think he's wise enough to know that but I think he's also made such a staunch defence of Honeyman in the last couple of weeks that 
he probably I mean, and there are there are assets to Honeyman his energy his work rate his his enthusiasm but basically the fact he, he, he does like to get forward and get in the box but I think if Ross is going to accommodate power it'll be one of Catamol or McGeoch that makes way yeah yeah I, I, I don't think Honeyman was the worst of the midfield three no I mean of the the three attack midfielders so Maguire Gooch well, oh, right, was well, undroppable yeah. after yesterday. Yeah, and I think Gooch is the same. And Gooch mm-hmm. is the same. Yeah, I just think. I mean, personally, I I wouldn't drop Honeyman, but I I don't want to drop McGeoch because I feel like he needs the game time to to get there, and he was part of the team last week. I, you don't want to drop Catamol because he's been playing well. The only thing you could say with Catamol, I suppose, is he has probably played the most of a midfielders. Could you well, put it off is, as a rest? See, this is the, well, yeah. This is the other thing because you've got Coventry, Peterborough, Bradford coming up in yeah. the space of how many days, there is an opportunity to Jack Ross say, look, the age that Catamol is, yes, he's doing this, but we need to manage him. And that might be another way to accommodate. Yeah, if quote-unquote his legs have gone, then he would surely benefit from taking one game out of how many he's played in a row to recuperate while Max Power gets his chance to come back into the team. I think that just... Logically, I think that makes the most sense, really, but you know, it, it only really makes sense if you if you take everything you've heard about Catamol as face value. But I think it'll be interesting because I think what we'll get at Coventry is more of an idea of how Jack Ross works. Yeah. Because at the, at the minute we're, we're learning about him, he's learning about his team. They've played nine games in the league. It's not many, you know, there's still 37 to go. And we've got players like McGeoch who clearly, you know, they want to get playing well again, power to come back in again. Wyke in three months' time, what more to come in? There's lots of players, still Sinclair to get up to speed, players that they want to integrate into that team and that squad. And it's going to be a squad, as Flanagan alluded, alluded, Flanagan alluded to, they're going to have to use a lot of players. And I think after Coventry, we'll have a better idea about how Rock, Jack Ross thinks Definitely. about who he puts in and for what reasons he puts players in. Yeah, I think what we'll, what we'll, we'll probably see uh, upon, uh, you know, at, at 2am on... No, 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 not 2pm, sorry. 2am? 2am, yeah. It'd be a funny time for a game, that wouldn't it? I, no, it it's, it's probably going to come in the Premier League at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Aye, well, if Sky could benefit, I'm sure they would do it. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure once it comes half 11 in the morning on Saturday, because it's a lunchtime yeah, kickoff, off in the yeah, yeah. on the ball, me. Yeah, I think what we'll find is, we'll find really, uh, we'll find out for ourselves, you know, a, a very key aspect of Jack Ross's philosophy. You know, is he prepared to be patient as we've said, with a player like McGeoch, who clearly has a lot of potential and given the game time, you know, he could realise it. Is he willing to, you know, take that gamble and, you know, instill some patience? Or is he, as we've said, going to be ruthless? Is he going to focus on immediate results rather than an individual player's potential to, you know, maximise their amount of brilliance? Is he going to be impatient and just bring power in with the hope that his inclusion right back in the team, you know, as the common denominator of our last three losses, will having him back in the team suddenly get us back to the winning ways we saw against the likes of Scunthorpe. I know what will happen now, after all this discussion about, you know, thinking deeply about the game, Catamol will probably get a yellow card within 10 minutes and probably have to come off at half-time yeah. for fear of being sent off. And that will be the... Oh, somebody and that will be the way... Exactly. I mean, that, sometimes these things happen in a bizarre way. You just, yeah, don't, that you just be, don't see it coming. And It would be oddly convenient if he did, to be fair, because, it, it you know, it's it, it's the best possible excuse on a plate, really. Oh, you know, Catamol... He's walking on eggshells. He's got well, he was at Burton. I mean, that's another aspect of the Burton game. He picked up a yellow card at Burton. And it changes his game. It always yeah. has with Catamol yeah. as soon as he picks a yellow card up. And even managers, allude, you know, they will say after the game, we knew that Catamol was on a yellow card and we knew he could, he wasn't starting to make tackles. And 
And so it does change games, having, you know, the, that with Catamol. But I think fundamentally, look, Sunderland are third. They've played only nine games. They've got players to come back in. They've only lost one. And in a way, all the you know, criticism of Honeyman or the criticism of certain tactical decisions, it's all fairly superfluous because actually they're doing all right. Yeah. And I and I'm always been one that I don't want to be the team sitting top of the table early on because everybody target targets you then. Mm, yeah. You're better placed in third or fourth where you just suddenly in that last couple of weeks, months of the season, that's when you make you know, you launch your sort of bid to go up. And yeah. no, you know, I mean someone pointed out about Wigan and Blackburn last season lost two or three in the first yeah, eight, did. nine both games and both great. went up fairly comfortably. So, you know, it's the, 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 after the meltdown of Burton, I mean, it's, you know, it's really, we're not in that position at all yet. Uh, we've we've talked, I don't know, which caught all the midfield, but Chris Maguire yesterday, very integral to the game, I, even though he didn't get on the score sheet, was important. I, I, that's, but that was the only thing missing from Maguire yesterday. I, I, I thought he deserved the goal yesterday. Yeah. He was just superb. His passing was just, Fantastic. We that saw Maguire. Well, it just everything about Maguire's play yesterday. Sort we saw there the Maguire that everyone's been raving about, which had dipped for a couple of weeks. But people always talked about Maguire at Berry and why it didn't work at Berry. Well, he wasn't happy there. He, he hated it there. It didn't work for him there, and that consequently meant he didn't play well. He's happy here. He's enjoying it. I think he's loving playing in front of big crowds, and and a happy player. He's one of those that someone said to me. You know, he's the sort of player that likes an arm around him. Well, do it. And if that's what it's going to produce, if that's what you're going to get, it's, you know, he's he's going to be an absolute, you know, godsend this season. Yeah. Don't, actually, like, you know, you can't really say much more about his performance yesterday. It's probably just analysing it too much because he was superb. Well, he was unplayable, I think, yeah. at times. I mean, you know, once he got into that, I mean, it's funny, you take that first half hour of the game out, which I thought was very, very poor. As soon as Sunderland scored, the game was over as far as yeah. I was concerned. I mean, that the extra two goals that were almost, you know, that was it, it, they could have scored another six or seven in the game. And Rochdale, I think, were beaten when the first goal went in. I think. Yeah, that. I want to touch on Gooch as well. Two goals for him yesterday. And after again, he's been maybe not as poor as Maguire, but he, he his performance levels had dipped. And I was actually in the fan zone, and I said that you know I thought Gooch just going to pat myself on the back. I said I think Gooch was going to have a good game, and two goals played very well. Was always a thorn in their side. And his second goal was class. I think, Alex, what do you make of you know, Gucci's performance? Yeah, that goal was the pick of the bunch yesterday, definitely. You know, it was a lovely little sort of turn inside, weaved through the place with his pace and just curled it into the bottom left-hand corner. Had a very good view of it from the east stand. Yeah, so, I did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty much behind Tremendous. Um, yeah, and a, yeah, just a great game. Another, well, you know, obviously not quite as good as Maguire, but still a, a good game from him. I think... Maguire's form had dipped quite extremely in the past few weeks and it's rose now with the same extremity. And I think Gooch is on that trajectory to a lesser extent. You know, I think he he does he drops a bit when the team when the team isn't winning. And I think once the confidence comes back, he comes into it a bit more. And I think Maguire really is is a bit more of an extreme version of that with Gooch. I think he's a he's a, a player whose consistency depends more so a lot almost entirely on confidence. And I think you know, those two wingers are in the same mould and I think Maguire has a bit more so of that than the other, but that's a bit of a tangent, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and Madja, finally, two goals. Uh, Madja, well, I, I like Madja. I mean, I think, I mean, I liked Madja in the pre-season two years ago, I think it was, when I thought he was the stronger of the pair between Osorio and Madja when they played. Last year, he would have started last season though. Yeah, it was, must have been the season before. I mean, when he got, injured, when he got injured, yeah, and he got injured and 
in pre-season, I thought I, I liked him because I thought he's quite physical. Um, and a sorrow, I thought, flattered to deceive a little bit. And I always preferred Madger. I'm thinking we're now seeing from Madger, you know, the, the, the sort of signs we saw a year or so ago. When you put him on a sixpence with a ball, that is it's just remarkable what he can do with a ball at his feet. Um, Jack Ross likes him. He says he's got a soft spot for him. And I can see why. I mean, he's, and he's, he's quiet, but he's, he, he thinks and he's knocking on the door and he's, he's demanding to be better and he wants to get better. And there are aspects to the game where I think clearly he does need to, to improve. And I think we can't lose sight. I mean, you know, chatting about Gooch there and chatting about Maguire. I sometimes think watching games, could I see these team, could I see these players in the championship? Because ultimately, That's the if end. they do go back up this season, you don't want wholesale changes again because no. we've alluded to that. So can you see, you know, who would fit into a championship team? Um, will Madger? I think he probably will because he's only 19. They've got to sort out his contract, of course. Maguire, yeah, if he's happy, he's got the technique and the skill to fit in. Honeyman and Gooch. Gooch, arguably, I think, yes. Honeyman, I'm not sure. I think Honeyman... He might... goals last year, though. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, thought, if he... honestly thought Honeyman was, you know, good. I don't think he's necessarily going to set the world like but as a squad player uh, uh, no I think you're right I think that's it I think he's a, he's a, what we always used to call a we'd probably still do a journeyman yeah. player you know he's not going to set the world alight but um, you know I, mean, I mentioned Phil Bardsley earlier look he's not the greatest fullback in the world but you knew what you're going to get with Phil yeah. Bardsley and you I think George Honeyman's yeah that sort of player do a job do you think Madge you know what seven goals now are we looking at a player who's going to get 25 goals this season or was that you know, Jack I, Ross said 20. He said he's got 20 in his locker. And I wouldn't argue against that at the moment. He's a comp, I mean, he's playing with confidence. He's playing regularly. Um, there's no, you can't see that he's going to get dropped in the next three months because there's no. nothing else really to replace him. Yeah. So if he, I mean, that was one reason I've said afterwards, I bet he was furious about coming off because his hat trick was then. But then, you know, Jack kind Ross is absolutely right. He, he had now. to be totally pragmatic. He said, I can't, you've got, to, you've got to a certain extent wrap him in cotton wool. Can't risk him getting injured. Yeah, because uh, he will get goals. I think on his current form, he'd be on for twenty-five. But obviously, you know, a striker's form can be quite a volatile yeah. thing. He, he could do great for the next few games, and then he could he could have a dry spell and he could miss a few. Mm. But it's it it. I can understand why Ross would have a soft spot for him because really, it's when it comes to playing up front for Sunderland, it's magic against the world. You know, Wykes out indefinitely. Jerome Sinclair is not a natural striker. He's, you know, he's really got to. I suppose nurture Madger and just sort of keep him, keep him on the right track yeah, and, 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 and do, do the, what he can behind the scenes to, yeah. to help his development. Uh, and the problem is, of course, the longer the season goes on, teams get to know more about those players. I mm. mean, at the minute, Madger's a bit of an unknown quantity for teams that don't really know how to deal with, how to deal yeah, with it. There's, there's they, no dossier. You know, the second half of the season, there will be a dossier. Do you think mm. um, Madger, if you were in his position with his contract coming up, would you gamble on yourself? You know, the more he scores, the more his new contract's going to be worth. Or do you, you know, sign it now because you've had that good start? Well, if I was Josh Madger and Jack Ross came and spoke to me and sat me down and sold me the club, I'd sign. But I think, as we've seen this last year or so, agents now are having too big a say, I think, in influencing where players are going. And I think my worry would be that some an agent turns Madger's head. Because I think if Madger sat down on his own with Jack Ross, yeah. Madger would stay. But you never know what happens. Yeah. Right, uh, I'm going to jump here. There's a question from Jason Beatty. Uh, do you think the performances of Hume, Gucci, and Magia yesterday show that we should have more faith in using academy lads where possible? 
e.g. Kemp Yoga, Nelson, whilst White is out instead of a free agent? I, I, to, a, to a degree, I agree. Um, but I think you've got to have a balance. You do need, and I think we've seen already this season, you need the experience of the Maguires and McLaughlins and whoever because it's a punishing, unforgiving division. And I don't think... You need to balance youth with experience. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm all for blooding the players out of the, the academy now in the in the manner that Jack Ross has done. And I mean, as he said right from the start, okay, he was forced to a certain extent because he only had eight experienced first-teamers when he arrived. And so the likes of Barley Mumba and so on were were involved. But he's done, you know, he's kept them in. Barley Mumba trains with the first-team squad still and so on and so on. So he will use them. If they're, you know, if they're good enough, they're old enough. And Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think... I don't think really Mumba should be starting for the first team now. I think, uh, well, I, I think, I think you know, you know, if if these lads can be assumed, the one the, the academy fringe players who haven't yet you know joined the ones who are already on the pitch, like Denver Hume and, and George Honeyman, I think if it can be reasonably assumed that they've got the potential to do something, they should be used sparingly if and when is appropriate. You know, the, the odd the odd Carabao Cup game, the odd Checker Trade Trophy. You bring them on in a league game when we're already winning fairly comfortably, and just just and just ease them in from there, and and gradually build up the significance of the fixtures that they feature in to the point when they become first team players. You know, if you get them on that trajectory, I think that's the best way to blood them. I think if you just, I think, I mean, I was very skeptical of Jack Ross's decision to just throw a Bali Mumbrin at the first team. You know, I think, you know, while while that must do him the world good for confidence, you know, that kind of thing can backfire. If he had a bad game, it could really do a number on his but, confidence. But I think that was a decision taken. Up with James Fowler, with the academy coaches, mm. with, you know, it wasn't a, a, a unilateral decision by Jack Ross. No. I mean, he's he's emphasised time and again the duty of care he owes a 16-year-old player yeah. in Harley Mumba. Oh, I, I don't think you would have just chucked so him So I think there is, he, yeah. he, so he's managing Mumba and he's also managing expectations. But I mean, the same way, you know, we talk about Duncan Watmore coming back, that will be managed and they will be ultra-cautious yeah. about what more because of the fear of it, that that injury happening again and you know I think that's another thing you know another aspect of um, the work they're now trying to do with the academy and bringing youngsters through and they're determined to keep it as a you know they, they, they want to keep their academy status which I think largely dependent on going up but you know that is clearly an area that's going to be more and more important especially when we saw Charlie Methan's programme notes yesterday about yeah. the finances of the club so, you know, the academy and the development of young players has got to be an absolute key part of the plan going forward. Last things really on the game. Uh, we've done a, a moment of the game on Twitter today. So I'll read a few out and then you can pick your own. So I'll give you, you've probably got a minute to decide while I read out a few of the others. Okay. I uh, don't know if you were concentrating there, Alex, moment of the game. Yeah. yeah. Right. So one here you. from Guy Incognito. Uh, I remember this, the foul throw from their player that didn't go in play. Yeah. Uh, Which was, I'm surprised it didn't get given the other way then, because it was a complete did, and utter foul throw. Yeah. yeah, nobody didn't. It didn't go and play. So he oh, no, of course he didn't go over the line. Did yeah, because yeah, I remember yeah. when I used to do. Cause I used to be a referee. I remember that happening all the time with kids who didn't know how to take a foul. Sometimes showing them. Oh, how it was to quite take comic. See, I yeah. love the image of you on like a Sunday morning, like giving a, a giving a, a dubious decision, and then some parents or some eight year old having a go at you. Yeah, I can see it. Standard. Did used to happen. Yeah, in the uh, suburbs of Blythe. <laughs> Catamull doing skills on the wing. Um, that I remember that as well, and everyone telling him to shoot, and then he passed it, and he trolled everyone. Yeah, um, on the edge. Oh, and he had that shot, and he absolutely and skied, skied it. Yeah. As well. yeah, he's, yeah. he's put that one in there. Uh, Glenn Leuven's Boris Johnsoning their player in the first <laughs> half. That was a, a, a. I don't even think he got booked for that either, did he? No, no, no. 
Richard Ingham says the care with which Lyndon Gooch looked after his mascot. I didn't notice that. Well, I didn't notice that. Benno made a point before the game when we saw all the mascots because there were that many of them. He was mixing them up with the first team because of their height. Right. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, we are a small team. It is a small team. Mm-hmm. Another talking point. <laughs> David Hamblin says Baldwin's perfect outside of the foot boot pass up to Maguire up the line before the cross for the first goal. Oh, that was essential. Yeah. He does like doing that quite a lot, actually. If you watch Baldwin, he does mm-hmm. like to play it with the outside of his foot. Yeah, he does. And he's very adept at it. I yeah. mean, very good footballer. Yeah. Uh, Dominic Carroll says Gooch getting up after being twatted and putting the ball in the back of the net a few minutes later. <laughs> oh, that infuriated me. That like it was it, a red it, card, it, surely. Yeah, it, it, apparently in League One, if you elbow a player square in the temple, that's that's okay. That's you know that that's minimal well, you, contact. You know, we did when we watched it. I mean, because you know where we are, right in the top of the West Stand, and it happened right on the far side at the foot of the East Stand. It was so far away, but at the time he did it, I was convinced that mm-hmm. must have been an elbow, and I yeah. couldn't understand why the car came out and it was a yellow. But we didn't get a replay of it, yeah. Um, so hard to tell. It's not on the it's highlights. Just, no, and it's so yeah. difficult to tell. But I mean, the reaction then, because Gooch was laid out for some minutes, I'm thinking, well, that must be that must be the nose. He must either have a bloody nose or it's broken. I thought it was that a must have been an elbow. Yeah. So it was his eye that ended up being cut. Was it, it was his eye? I didn't see that. You see, because we were too far away. But I know, it was interesting then because the referee. Who, in fairness, Trevor Kettle's one of the more experienced referees for the you know first time of the season, getting a referee that actually got a bit of higher league experience. Was at pains to speak to, I think, three Sunderland players and two Rochdale players. And he was clearly, I think, then explaining the decision not to send now um, give Rathbun the yellow. Off. You can't, they can't retrospectively look at that either. So if it was a bad, so yeah, so I think he was obviously explaining the decision, but I mean. I don't know. I, it looked to me like a sending off straight away. But have you got a moment? Well, I, I just think about um, for me, Maguire's pass, crossfield pass for the match. For yeah. the, for the yeah. yeah. I just thought that was such a that was brilliant. Alex, yeah, I think my standout moment just for its profundity was that absolute elbow that Gooch took. I just, yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I thought, I mean, just based on how he sort of like like gingerly walked around after and then lay down, I thought he was concussed. You know, I mean. A, you know, fellow Roker reporter Chris Cam, who was a bit further down from me in, in the East Stand, he said he heard it, like the the, the, the sound of the connection. So, I mean... Must have been yeah. bad. Yeah. Well, welcome to League One, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, that's what... That's what it is. That's what it is, it's isn't elbows. it? I mean, I mean, I don't know, just on a tangent, that tackle last week, it was shown all everywhere, it was all over social media, the Accrington Fleetwood game and the guy... Oh, what a tackle. ...ran across at about mm. 140 miles an hour, made the tackle. But for me, the best moment of that was the defender just got up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what happens every week. Leuven's did one as well, didn't he? Similar. Um, Another point from the, well, not even the weekend, just in general, won three games this season by three goals. And I think that needs to be noted as as quite impressive. Well, I think this is the strange thing about this big thing about taking the lead. I think when Sunderland take the lead, the game suddenly, the other team team seems to just throw in Mm -hmm. the towel. Um, That's not to say uh, no disrespect because Sunderland, I thought, played so well against Scunthorpe that they more than deserved that win. Um, the 4-1 at Gillingham still to this day I mean that could have ended 6-6 I mean that was such a strange yeah. game yeah it didn't really um, I'd say the that, that, didn't, that one was actually, it was a really weird yeah. game and I mean I got some criticism afterwards saying well you know you're being negative that, 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 that flattered Sunderland I think well not being negative it's a fact even the managers admitted afterwards it could have ended 4-4 it, couldn't have, it could have ended, gone anyway just they got the rub of the green that night totally yeah I think when when Sunderland and Sunderland get the confidence to be clinical, that can be relentless. And you do often see that with teams in these lower divisions. You know, in the Premier League, you don't 
often see score lines of of them um, uh, quite you know big margins no, as often you know, in the lower divisions. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, yesterday, you know, obviously I would say it's an exception to that rule, but right, normally in the Premier League, you, you don't. You know, t- games are a lot more evenly contested, but. I mean, I, I always thought that when I looked down at, you know, League One, League Two, you, you see a lot more 4 ones and, and 3 0 ch- There's a lot more chances. The game's a lot more. Yeah. I mean, yesterday, I think part of the reason, I mean, at 3 0 half time, it's very difficult then to lift yourself for the second yeah. half, to push and score. And actually, you know, Jack Ross, as a manager, would have been really, really mindful of injuries. You know, the last thing he needs to do is, let's say, go gung ho in the second half and score another three. Yeah. Because if any of those players picks up injuries now, you've got the, the game's won at half time. You've just got to manage the second half. Yeah. However poor it might look and however boring it might be, you've, he, he, the position he is at the minute with the injuries he's got, he's got to manage it. Yeah. And I, I would take 45 minutes of fairly uninspiring football yeah. to preserve the squad for the next game. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Um, one of the things I always look at in a squad, well, a team, is especially if you're going for a promotion, is every five games you should pick up 10 points, three wins, a draw, and a loss. We're on 18 from nine. So that's in line with that if we win next weekend we've got 21 points from 10 games put with one point above that threshold of 20 points I think that should be the aim for the season I think Jack I think Ross looks at it in them sort of sections or is it just said, game he, at he a did time? say previously he did look at he used to plan in that and managers do don't they say he'll take blocks and this is how many points you get from it but he said at the start of the season it's been a bit difficult because he's finding his way in the league and he's trying to get his head around the meeting two times not four times but I think the Someone else, the figure they were quoting was, well, I think the one you've just mentioned, two points a game is the average over a season if you want to get promoted. And I think that's probably about right. I mean, yeah. you look, looking, I think another thing that Jack Ross was pleased about yesterday, which is good, is that they're unbeaten still at home. And I think Stadium Light has got to become somewhere that's difficult for teams to pick up points because the longer that goes on, it will be harder for teams to come and start to set up like Fleetwood and Oxford did because they will be mindful, start to be mindful of the fact that teams are going there and not getting anything. So I think the old adage, win your home games and pick up point away from home, then you, you will get that average of two a game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a thing here from Keith Blanchard, or Blancard, I don't know. I've butchered that. I'm sorry, Keith. Uh, can they lock the gates and keep everyone in until the end? Now, obviously, that is silly. But it does lead to a wider discussion of yesterday, a lot of people left on about 35 minutes to go into the concourse. And a lot of people are leaving early. I mean, should we just say they pay their money? That's fine. If yeah, you want but I think early. the season's probably a bit of an exception because I was I thought from the start of the season, for the first time we were seeing people stay into the end. Yeah, Charlton. Yeah, Charlton obviously they? was the big one, but I I had more of a sense of people staying. I mean the crowd looked lower yesterday and it obviously was, but only like a few thousand. But I think when we were saying about that game yesterday, three nil at half time, and the way the second half was going, it Interest was, I think, yeah. a waver amongst people, and you think the points were in the bag, and I can understand why people did leave. But you know, I think um, we had a conversation in the week, a few of us last week, about are now being nine games in, has it all settled down, and people now have got to, well, this is this is mm. where we're at, this is this is it now, this is where you're at. It's Rochdale and it's Fleetwood and it's yeah. League One, and oh, okay, that it's like the honeymoon period's over. We're all now having to accept that when you get into the winter. I mean, I had a conversation with Tom Flanagan yesterday. I said, it's interesting, isn't it? Back in the Championship in the Premier League, you'd have an international break, you have a weekend off, and everyone's really pleased when the league comes, but we haven't had one. And he says, no. And he says that even the players are feeling that this treadmill is relentless game after game after game, yeah. and more games now because we've got an FA Cup first round, we've got Checker Trade Trophy. And 
So that it's, you know, when we get into November and December, we're going to see the real League One, I think, and just where this team's going to be. So you think uh, people leaving early, is, I mean, that's a problem, you know, Man City in the week. No, I mean, well. look, you know, last season we had an absent owner, we had a, 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 a CEO who was as incompetent as he was self-serving. We had no money to spend. We had a fairly terrible team with some of the worst sun players to ever wear the shirt. And this season, the biggest problem is that some fans want to get away to, to whatever they've got planned on the 80th minute. You know, if, if those are your problems, I don't think you've really got problems. You know, it, well, Charlie Methan's trying to address getting people in 15 minutes yeah. before kickoff. Maybe that's the second thing. Put that on his sheet as well. Yeah. And stay in 15 minutes from the he end did, as well. He did a thing with ALS where he said that he wanted people to stay. Uh, I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would never leave early because I just couldn't I just do it myself. I'm going to miss three <laughs> yeah. goals in the yeah. last yeah. six minutes yeah. or something. I mean, we don't either, but I think to, to play devil's advocate there, I go to the game with my dad, my brother, and my granddad. Now, my granddad is a 90 year old man who needs a wheelchair to get around. Yeah. We park just by the stadium and we bring him in. And the, and the hospitality there is just, just on a side note, it's fantastic. You know, they've been really great at accommodating my granddad. But when we get away at the end, obviously, we're getting back into the car from the wheelchair. But then because of how congested it is around the stadium, we're waiting there for about 45 minutes, you know, bordering on an hour. I think it was about an hour at, for the Scunthorpe game. And I could understand if someone in my position wanted to get away early just to beat that traffic. You know, you yeah. might have somewhere to be, you know, you've got things to do, you know. You know, a, 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 a lot of us will have the Sunderland them. game as the highlight of our Saturday, but, you know, we've all, a lot of us will have other arrangements to do as well. I would understand if someone in in our position would want to leave on the 80th minute to avoid that. Yeah, I get it. But what yeah, about right. the, the before half time, 35 minutes? You know, especially something about turning the screw as well mm. at that point. But people do, don't, I mean, I think wherever have a teams are playing sometimes, you see people disappearing off to get a hot drink or whatever. Yeah, get a pint five, five, ten whatever. minutes before yeah. half time. It's, it's just an interesting. I normally eat before the game anyway, or just when I'm walking in. I, I'll know. let my bladder explode before I'll pee during a game. Great. I mean, for <laughs> you, it must be a nightmare for you. Oh, I've had, well, I remember a couple of seasons years. ago, remember at Cardiff yeah. at that Christmas time? The and it was freezing cold. It was the um, yeah, cold back one. Yeah, and it was free, absolutely it was freezing. Horrible. So as a consequence of it being well, really, yeah, it? and the consequence yeah. of it being really cold, you tend to drink a lot more hot drinks during the game. And Ben had obviously brought me a big coffee at half time. Anyway, ten minutes before the end of the game, I'm absolutely. I'm thinking <laughs> there really is going to be a serious question here. Where I'm going to finish the game. Do I wet my trousers or do I just try <laughs> and hold on? So I psychologically, I psych myself up to thinking right as soon as the whistle goes, I am off to the toilet. That is it. <laughs> I forgot that when the whistle went, we still had 10 minutes on air before I could hand back to the studio. Oh. I've never been so close as to have them. And we scored as well, in the, honestly, in the 96 minutes. It was a nightmare, was. absolute nightmare. I probably did myself irreparable mm-hmm. medical damage <laughs> at the Cardiff City Stadium that day. And yeah. I know a friend of mine who was a commentator at Barrow once many years ago, he was so desperate. He had to go and he made his summarise to do the commentary while he went to the toilet. Yeah, t- but I just don't really think is. I could trust Gary to commentate no for the time it would take me to get to the yeah. toilet and that. It's a real moral dilemma that, you know, do you do you just wee yourself there on the spot or do you continue your commentary? Do you value I, your journalism or your dignity? Would, uh, Which one prevails? Ultimately, if it came to it, I'd have to start to wet myself. Well, yeah. Fair. Well, uh, that took a turn. <laughs> um, Didier Ndong, I uh, just touch on him slightly. I don't want to spend any more than about 30 seconds yeah, on him. Yeah, I mean, it's an awful blog, isn't it? Newcastle Airport. Is there any chance that he ever wears a Sunderland kid again? Hopefully, never. 
What oh. if he says he's willing to take a pay cut? If he comes in and says, I'll go on 10 grand a week and I'll train with the under-23s and I'll leave my place, or is it just done? No, no I, think it's, I don't think, I think Jack Ross wouldn't have him anywhere near that first-team squad. Okay, we'll move on then. Yep. Bye-bye. Uh, next week, we'll have a little preview. 5,000 5, lads fans. I'll be one of them. Alex, are you going? To Coventry? Yeah. I am not. I'm oh, doing the match report. Right, you sit over there. You don't say anything. I'll turn your mic yeah, I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing my service for Roker Report trademark. <laughs> But 5,000 lads fans, that must be good for you, uh, Nick. Brilliant. I mean, I, I'm actually looking forward to it. I haven't been to the Rico before because when they play pre season, I was actually on holday. You would not play then? Or uh, is this my first ever game then? Yeah, because I think Niall Quinn, when he was in charge, they played pre season there. Do we not play all six or seven? I'm sure um, I play the game. It's certainly, not it's a, I, haven't, I haven't missed a league game since 2000. And I'm sure it was. we opened 2007. What's their stadium called now? The Rico Arena. Oh, yeah, well, that was it. That was the same. Yeah, yeah that same. I, that I missed the first couple of games of the season. Oh, did you? So oh. I missed okay. the. Um, so I missed the, they, the the friendly there, and then I missed the early game um, of that season. So I've not been to the Rico. So that's an a, a that's a new ground for to me. Take. So that's that's good. Yeah. B Coventry having in woeful form at the moment. Great, um, and. C, 5,000, it could have been a lot more. And I can understand why Coventry probably thought, mm, actually, this is starting to turn like a Sunderland home game. So mm. they probably... I would have just let them in. Shut the gates. So they, they need the money, yeah. yeah. But um, no, I'm looking forward to it. I think um, I think the fact that Power's probably going to be back in as well and so on. And you know the story about Max Power and picking up the fan on the way to the game? I heard about yeah. it. Do you want no, to tell it? Well, apparently on the way to, his, to the home game the other week, he was driving in and he saw a Sunderland fan waiting at the bus stop. Uh, and pulled over and asked him if he wanted a lift. And uh, obviously the guy said yes, and so he gave him a lift to the game. That's nice. class, that. But that's not an indication of how different this squad is to previous squads mm. and the individual players. Uh, you know, the, I mean, you look at Luke O'Neill, uh, aside from the fact he looks about 12, <laughs> every time you see him, he looks like he's a kid in a sweet shop. He cannot yeah. believe that he's playing at yeah. a club like Sunderland. Max Power is the same. I mean, he could have been, you know, beside himself, uh, that suspension, but he's done nothing but walk around with a smile on his face, and you know, and has embodied everything that you know this squad is about in wanting to be here, wanting to play here, grounded, um, and that's another, I think, an important aspect of the way the club's been turned around. Yeah, I mean, if it if it takes two relegations to finally see us feel the team of salt and the earth players who care about the region, care about the people who just want to be here, then I'm happy just to see it. You know, would would you ever see? You know, Jason Denier or Adnan Yanazai doing what Max Power did there? Probably not. I certainly no. don't think so. Um, do you want little predictions for the game? I don't like giving predictions. But you are. But I'm going to say, <laughs> I think, because it's going to go horribly wrong because I, I thought they'd win a burn. Um, I've got, at the back of my mind, I'm optimistic, actually, that they'll get something at Coventry. Yeah, do you know what? I'm not going to hold you to an actual score so you don't jinx it. Alex, so you can jinx it. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give a score and, and happily confirm the loss for us. I'm going to say a 2-1 win for Sunderland. I'm feeling a 2-2 draw, actually. I know. I'm, I'm, really, I'm, really, I'm reeling at that. I know. Yeah. I, I, I can see it being like a, a frustrating day where we should win. You know, a really good performance, but we end up drawing 2-2. Maybe a defensive mistake in there, possibly. No, you're a barrel laughs you, aren't I know, you? I know, I'm ruining it for everyone. Yeah, but I like, I, I, this is the sort of... Um, Reverse psychology, isn't it? That actually yeah. you say two, two, two yeah, yeah, knowing yeah. that they're going to go down there and win yeah, five. In, in the back of your mind, you you know it's not going to happen. Well, you I had Sunderland to win to nil uh, at the weekend, and I was like, oh, and yeah. I ended up obviously I jinxed that that 
mistake from Baldwin that led to their goal. That Matt Dunn's done you in there. Yeah, so if I go 2-2, I'm thinking, you know, it's got to be a win either side. Yeah, that only counts if people know it's spelled D-O-N-E. Yeah. Which oh, hopefully actually, yeah, they do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm bagging on the listeners at home's trivia of League One footballers. Yeah. Right, okay, I think we're done. Has anybody else got anything they want to add? Any notable points that I've missed? No? No, because if we start talking about the height of the team, we'll be here another half Yeah, hour. I'm not talking about the height. I'm done with that. We've, we've touched on the height no. of the team too many times, too often. They're all five foot eight and it's a problem. There we go. Yeah. Uh, as for our report this week, uh, there'll be an extra podcast on... Thursday or Friday morning. It's not me doing it. I did last week's with a Rochdale fan. Yeah. Did we, did we listen? Alex? I listened. Did you? Yeah, Nick? Yeah. Do you I didn't hear it. No, do you ever listen to it. the extra podcasts? Uh, no, I tend to listen to the main one. Just this the... one. I want the main event, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Billy Big Boots, me. <laughs> yeah. And then I think we have Julio Argar on next week. Oh, the 30th. Yeah. Next week. Yeah, he's on after yeah, the he's on. game. He's on. Yeah. So that'll be exciting, provided obviously you can still make it. I don't want to uh, jinx it, but he no. said he would come on. So that'll be interesting. And uh, Nick, thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Yeah, tune good, in to BBC, good, good listen to Nick's commentary if you're not at the game next weekend. Although you probably watch it on Skylight, but if not, if you're in the car, give him a listen. Stay away from Sky, go straight to Nick's commentary. You don't need to watch the game, you only need to hear it. <laughs> but it's there if you want it. Yeah. yeah. And Alex, yeah, you, don't follow him on Twitter because he's yeah, got no banner. Do something. Shut yeah. up. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.